Yeah, it's Soundcheck Flicks. We are back. Excited to be here. Welcome. How are you guys doing? It's the holiday season. Uh, I'm Tim Piles. Graham Stevens over there and our good friend Bart Mendoza. I'm not back. This is my first time. Okay. Just want to point that out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Can I finish? Go ahead. Fine. <laughs> uh, Bart and I have been friends for many years. One of my longest friends. Uh, we're part of a secret society, actually. Yep, yep. Uh, it relates to the mod scene back in the day. We were in a scooter club. Uh, but longtime musician and writer about San Diego music. Uh, probably one of the hardest working uh, supporters of local music next to me. And uh, yeah, next to me. <laughs> uh, although you said you've been on stage here how many times? Uh, it's over 130 times. But, but, but not just playing, like introducing bands and doing things like that. Yeah. I think as far as touring bands go, Big Sandy's got to have played here the most. Well, uh, it's well, been a while since he's been. I, here, I think but. as a musician, it's got to be John Reese over the years, right? With sure, all the different sure. bands that he's been in. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is all kind of related to the movie we're going to talk about today, right? Which is yeah, music. Exactly. Music, 1996, music movie. That Thing You Do, directed by uh, Tom Hanks, also feature, was featuring his wife. Was she his wife at that point? Rita, Rita Wilson, Wilson was his was wife. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She, she was in the movie. She's yes. the waitress. But uh, amazing film and super fun. And it relates so much to you. Uh, the whole time I was watching the film, um, the lead character, I I'm picturing Bart Mendoza as uh, as Jimmy, the lead character. Well, funny enough, I've heard... Lead, a leader of the band. I've heard that before, but really what it is is the fact that the experience that the band goes through in that movie is universal. It doesn't matter if... It, it, obviously, that takes place in the uh, mid-1960s, but it still applies today. Any band in a garage, it happens to them in that order. There is a, a theatrical version that was released that is, it's a very clean film. Um, but then there was another version, extended version, I guess, okay. released. Which and we're I didn't, talking about that thing you do, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that okay. thing you do. Okay. I didn't get to uh, see that one, though. But okay. 1996, That Thing You Do, uh, Tom Hanks uh, plays one of the main characters in the film. And uh, it's, a, it's a great film. Did you see it in theaters originally? Um, I did see it in theaters originally. Um the movie's got kind of an interesting history with me just because um, I was getting off work one day and I was, this is when I was living on Bachman Place and uh, I walked into the house just at, everybody was sitting around the TV set and it was one of those houses where a lot of different musicians lived and everybody was sitting around the TV in the main room and I walked in just as the trailer was starting. I'd never seen it before and I just remembered the whole room getting quiet to see what my reaction would be to this movie and I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. They all started laughing. Yeah, we thought you would know about this already. But yeah, no, I, I saw the movie like the day it came out pretty much, and I've seen it. It's got to be in the 60 to 70 times since over and over again. It's one of those movies that shows a lot on cable. And so I just happened to come across <laughs> it over and over again. And it's also one of those movies where, for me anyway, it doesn't matter where I pick up on the movie, I just carry it on through. I love different sections for different reasons. You know, as a longtime musician, watching the way they build the song from the beginning, where they're trying to figure out how it's going to go on the tempo, up through the talent show, where they, they kind of speed it up, and it's an accident, but it becomes something, all the way to uh, the end of the movie where they're on TV. You know, the, the fact that the whole thing takes place in 90 days, approximately, is mind-blowing to me, because it also shows... Uh, how big music was at the time and also how fast things could move at the time. I don't think it's really like that anymore unless you're in the corporate world, in which case you can get a little bit lucky if you've got some money. But what they're showing there, the grassroots of it all, you know, the, the independent booker coming in and taking the single from independence to a major label, all that kind of stuff still applies and it, it's, it's amazing. We spoke earlier about 
um, the scene where they hear their song on the radio for the first time. And anybody that's ever released a record has had that experience in them. And it's, it's a wondrous thing. That moment in your life as a musician that you hear yourself on the radio being taken seriously for the first time, that is certainly, a, in our case, it was a pull the car over quickly, everybody get out of the car and jump around <laughs> and scream. So like now what do kids do? Like they load it up to Spotify and then they play it on Spotify and then they're excited. Well, no? you know, I'm, they get I'm, some spins and I, they get a few spins. I'm not seeing that same excitement in, no. in uh, you know, you kids get airplay or they're in the paper or anything like that. And I'm not seeing the same like, wow, I, I need a copy of that. I, I want to show my mom what I did. I need to cut out that clipping and put it on the fridge. And I, I'm not seeing that so much anymore. No. It's become a lot more commonplace because Anybody can be on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. But that moment when you are above the local scene, when you are... Um, I mean, even just yeah. on loudspeaker, on a, on a major signal playing local bands and those bands shooting little Instagram videos yes. and, and tagging the station and me was really impactful and powerful. In that moment, you have the whole future ahead of you and it's a positive thing. You never, I mean, the odds are it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, it's just life. But in that moment, you are given the door, and now it's up to you to do something with it, right? And they did. In that movie, the Wonders, the Oneaters, they go on to go play the Hollywood Palace. So that is the biggest that you could do at the time. Right. You know, so, um, like I said, just amazing to me, that movie. I've seen it so many times, love it to death, and we actually had a... Uh, slight connection my band the shambles in the 90s to it in that um i don't know if you guys have heard of vox fest sure okay it was a convention for uh, vox guitar and amplifier collectors and they would have a big event somewhere in hollywood every year and we played the one at hollywood for hire which is one of the major prop companies and they're the ones that provided the props for that thing you do so we got to play i gotta i always get the name wrong uh we got to play on the captain Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters stage. <laughs> and well, the funny thing was that they actually... Did you wear sailor suits? No, we didn't. But they actually had the signs, the same signs that they had in the movie that were in front <laughs> were like there and stuff like that. It was also very cool, that one, just a little sidebar, because um, at that Vox Fest, there was a major collector there. And he had like the instruments that the animals played on the Ed Sullivan show. He had, you know, Jimi Hendrix's amplifier and stuff like that. And they were on display. And we were about to go on stage and we were admiring the guitars and stuff. And he goes... You guys want to use them? I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? He goes, they just sit in boxes and it's a museum pieces. He goes, nobody ever plays them. That's what they're for. Go ahead. So we ended up playing with all those, you know, I mean, wow. yeah, it was very, very awesome because, you know, we look at the clips later on. And there's a video circulating somewhere of all that stuff. You've held John Lennon's guitar too, haven't you? I did play John Lennon's guitar, yeah. uh, the, the J160, uh, right before, just a short version of that, right before it was uh, auctioned off for the museum. They had a going away party for the guitar uh, up in Serrano Mesa. Mark and Travaya uh, from Listen, et cetera, invited me. And uh, they made a documentary about that guitar. And so uh, several of us that were there got to uh, nice. yeah. shoot segments I remember on that. It. And uh, yeah, I got to play You Still Take My Breath Away on it. And everybody went, you're not playing a Beatles song? I, I, got, <laughs> I got to play one of my own songs on John Lennon's guitar. That's, that right there is good enough for me. When so, was the first manual scan show, by the way? Uh, July 4th, 1981. And that band would have formed in, in La Jolla? It formed in La Jolla out of high school. Basically, it's the same as this movie. It's the same, you know, a bunch of high school kids. Uh, the drummer uh, didn't want to do it. Although it didn't bro break his arm, but uh, got stage fright. And uh, we ended up going, anybody here play drums? 
And uh, 14-year-old Paul Bruin was like third row in front going, I'll do it. He got up on stage and that was it. And that's where Paul Bruin comes from. I have Uncle five Joe's- copies of your first single. Uncle Joe's right. Big Old Driver and all his bands started there. Uh, five copies of the single. That- oh, well, it's, it's an EP, technically. EP. Yeah, I just, it, it amuses me to no end that Manuel Scan's record uh, has been reissued so many times. Yeah, I have an original version. Yeah, there's the picture disc. There's the blue vinyl. There's the test pressing. There's the Spanish reissue. There's the second Spanish reissue. There's the, yeah, it's, You're it, big in Spain, huh? That's what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> that's an ongoing joke, Graham. Yeah, no, but no, they no. do love a lot of bands from San Diego and in the, the Spanish music scene, and and yes. Mike Stacks is now Schizophonics are a popular band over there. For the- well, that's what, one of my favorite things ever was uh, uh, Manuel Scan was playing in uh, in Spain, and Dave Fleminger and I were hanging out in Madrid, and I look I look at the music paper, and I'm like. You know, the loons are playing like two blocks away from here. We got to go. And yeah. Dave, Dave's like, should we go? And I'm like, they're going to find out we were two blocks away and didn't come by. <laughs> of course. Like, so we walk over there. We're waiting at the door when they showed up and pulled up in their van. They're like, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> hey, we heard there was a good show tonight. That's just kind of funny. So anyway, um, back to the movie. Yes. Um, yeah, we can get sidetracked on everything. Oh, that's the point. Um, I did want to ask you one question about yeah, the sure. evolution because you said you liked how that played out, especially hearing the song on the yeah. radio for the first time. Yeah. Even before that moment, there's that moment where they get their first 45s. Yes. I think for a lot of bands, that's a really special moment, too. I think that one is. And that's something you actually see on Facebook a lot, or where all the various, I don't know what the kids listen to or watch these days. But <laughs> so you see a lot of uh, pictures of the kids, whoever, you know, opening the boxes of CDs, and it's the excitement is right. there. You know, it's for, for a musician getting a box of CDs, singles, or whatever, it's, that's Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I, but right before the pandemic, we had the Sacred Souls at Soda Bar, and yeah. you know they've blown up since yeah. then. But they uh, were doing a free residency at that time every Monday, and one of those Mondays, uh, Josh showed up with a box of their new Penrose, uh, can I call you Rose or whatever singles. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you should have seen the looks on their face. I was actually there when they got the box came in, and I mean, they just were beaming. Yeah. I mean, it was just it's such a great moment to get to see something you. You know, from a band that's just starting, yep. and you get that first 45 slapped in your hand, and it's just magic. Yeah. It's that's, like that's, reality. That <laughs> feeling does not go away. Yeah. You know, I've got a shelf full of records I've put out, and, you know, I'm waiting right now for the True Stories uh, Capitolo Uno single to come in. And I know I'm going <laughs> to box rip it open. Oh, look at this. Look at this. You know? And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the reward. Cause at this point, I think we pretty much know we're not going to make a million. We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to be a teen idol at 61. Um, there's a lot of knots going to happen, but that is a very tangible a teen idol at 61. Hey, it, no, you can do it. I can't. I'm just, it's out of my, out of my wheel. Well, it's amazing that, uh, many of the songs are written by Tom Hanks. Um, a few of them a are. A few of them are, yeah. Um, so he was involved. The key song is, of course, written by Adam Schlesinger, uh, Fountains for, of Wayne. Uh, Fountains of Wayne. Stacey's right. mom, for Stay all down. y'all out there. If you've yep. been to an emo night, great, you've heard that song a few times. pop rock yeah, band. But, I mean, he, that thing you do, which... Seven years before Stacey's mom. Wow. That's what blew my mind, yeah. was that's their defining song. And yet, he did the thing you do, wrote it seven years before that. I think that's amazing. It's like, it's like it was already there. The talent was always there. Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. Um, you know, I enjoyed that band before their hit. I mean, they were they yeah, were no, pretty Lane, I liked yeah, them quite a bit. Band. Yeah, um, just the fact that it's been covered by everybody from you know that thing you do has been covered by everybody from NSYNC, You Found Glory, The Knack. I mean, that right there is validation right there. Right, you got The Knack covering one of your power pop songs. So I mean, it's just a great tune. But I also want to point out that it does have a, a song writing connection to San Diego, which is Rick Elias who was in the Rick Elias band and many other groups here for years and years and years before he moved to Nashville, formed a bunch of Christian bands, including uh, a ragamuffin. 
but he wrote some of my favorite stuff on here, uh, notably Drive Faster by the Vicksburgs, which is one of the great hot rod tunes of all time. And I realized the hot rod era was 62, 63, 64 in there. And this wasn't written till 96, but it still kicks. That is a great rock and roll song. Somebody needs to cover it. Drive faster. Tom Hanks does do the Loving You Lots and Lots song right at the beginning. That was the one he wrote along with I'm Spartacus. The folksy number? Yeah. Yeah. That I one love that... how it starts with that because that's what the, well, these that's bands what... pop. This music, the Beatles killed all that. Right, right. Killed yeah. all the yeah. folk music. So well, Diane Dane and Freddie Fredrickson, the Playtone artists that are kind of still at the top. Yeah. They're, that's kind of the sound of the fit late 50s and stuff. You, right. that, they're dying already, and the Wonders and, and those bands, are, and the Chantrelines, are, they're replacing right. them. Right, and they All know that, it. And, and they know yeah. it. That's why, uh, who's the host? Freddie? Um, Freddie Fredrickson. Freddie Fredrickson gives them a little bit of attitude. Right? Yeah, great, you guys are next. Yeah. Because you know, he knows he's about to be supplanted. And Diane Dane, aside from Jimmy, is openly hostile to the band. She just doesn't care. Like, right, right. She just rolls her eyes at him constantly, and it's terrible. Like, no. <laughs> you know, but I, she knows she's headed out. Yeah. You know? yeah. But you know what I think really really makes the movie work. First of all, the, the characters are all appealing. They, it's, it's a very good cast. But the fact that they're actually playing. Yeah. That they're act, that's that's actually, deal. that is a huge yeah. deal. You know, you look at the, hand, the finger motions and you know, those, those are the right chords. Those guys really knew how to play. And I think it's excellent that um, Tom Hanks put them on, you know, in Japan, they actually played live shows at the time. So they would be prepared for dealing with that kind of thing. I did see the reunion video a couple of years ago during the pandemic and, you know, it was fun, but it wasn't the same thing. Of course, a lot of time's gone on. But I think that the fact that they're actually playing makes a huge difference. You can see the joy in their eyes in the uh, in the um, the fairground scenes. You know, when they're playing, and you can see because the audience just respond. It it works. It works really, really well. It makes a difference. Yeah, Tom Everett Scott guy, film debut, amazing. Yeah, I wanted to talk about him first because it's like, you know, he's got a lot on the line. This is his very first film, and he's in the role, you know, he's in a chief role. He's the chief good guy. Yep. Right, right. Because yeah, Jimmy may be the lead singer of the band, but he's a prick. Yeah. Right. Like, guy's the one we're rooting for. Right. Like, so it had to work, and Tom Everett Scott was terrific. You, you know, just uh, the, the role he played, particularly at the end when he's talking to uh, um, the jazz guy. Um, Del Paxton. Del Paxton, right. And, you know, they're kind of just one-on-one. That's very relatable, you know. Just really, really good acting in that movie. Yeah, is that the Dresden room? Dresden, it looks like the Dresden lounge, or where that shot, where that was. Yeah, shot. that one. I, I, don't, I didn't see in the credits, and I didn't look Probably. that up. But, but this, they took a gamble on this cast too. It's a lot of new people because I mean, Tom Everett Scott's in his film debut. Jonathan Sheck is pretty new on. Steven Zahn is playing Lanny, who's hilarious. Yep, yep, one of and we'd seen him in Reality Bites right before that, yeah. so we kind of knew who he was. He and tends we, to play that kind of character. Smartass. God, he's good. I just I, I, he's I laugh so every good. time he's on screen. I just can't help it. He's somebody you'd hang out with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Ethan Embry is the bass player. Doesn't even have a name. He's TV, just the bass player. TV player. TV player. Yep. But he's just, he's just had Empire Records, and then he's got this, and then he's getting ready to do Can't Hardly Wait. So, like, Ethan Embry is the actual one guy of those guys whose career is really hot at that moment. What like, about Giovanni Ribisi? He, he's he probably the other on, one. Yeah, on to... the br- drummer who broke his arm. He's probably the second hottest actor coming out of this. And, he, and you know, he's kind of the Pete Best. Like, he, <laughs> he got left behind. But And Liv Tyler is also new at this point. She's kind of an Aerosmith video girl at this point. Yeah. And she's done Empire Records the year before. But I enjoy watching her on screen so she's much. She's beautiful. She's I wonderful. I just really do. And I've had Giovanni Ribisi in my... My car before. 
<laughs> How did that happen? Did you just lure him in with no, a, I was, I was a, a runner. Ted I would doll help, or something? I would help Tim uh, with bigger shows be the runner sometimes. Uh-huh. And uh, I think he was with Cat Power. Okay. And I remember picking up Cat Power and him, and I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> do you want to be BC? Nice. Yeah, there was just such this He's fresh... a Scientologist. And, and, and Charlize Theron is in there, too. Right, oh, right, right. Yeah, man. forget about that. I to see more of her. Oh, my God. So well, in her Maryland. Edition, there you go. The extended edition, you <laughs> get a lot more of her. So, she yeah. was more voluptuous in those days. Different. She was very young. Yeah. But in the extended version, when she first appears on screen, she pulls up to Guy in her car, and she is just radiant. Yeah. yeah. Like, the first time she pops on screen, you're like, oh, my God, that's one of the most beautiful women I've yeah. ever seen. She plays that character so well. It's it's everybody does. We should mention the fact that there's two versions of the movie. There's the one that most people have seen, the theatrical edition, hour and fifty minutes, hour and fifty minutes, and then there's a a second version of the movie which is thirty nine minutes longer, and fills in a lot of the blanks. That was two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Yes. Okay. So um, the second movie. We were talking about this earlier. To me, it kind of helps if you've seen the first movie, the first version. Yep. Because then it fills, then you find out what's missing. And it doesn't take away at all from the first movie. It's perfectly cut. It is a great film as it stands. But seeing that extra 39 minutes where it fills in things like the relationship between TV player and a, and a singer in the Chantrelles, I think that's how you pronounce Chantrelines. it. Chantrelines. Chantrelines, there you go. Yeah. That relationship in particular, that was really fleshed out. Yeah. Uh, as well as they the, ended up in bed together. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't get that, Tim Piles. Like in the regular version, she doesn't really respond to him. He's just, you can tell he's kind of crushing on her. Yeah. In the extended version, they straight up end up in bed together. Yep. I, I did read that. He yeah. lost his virginity to her, technically. <laughs> yeah, is, and there's is... that point where they're talking to Clint Howard at the radio studio. Yep. And they're like, he says, which artist popped your cherry? And he doesn't mean it in that regard. He means that which artist blew your mind as far as music. But he's the first one to answer TV player, and he says, the Chantrelines. <laughs> <laughs> which... In the original version, uh, doesn't make as much sense. You don't get it sense. quite as yeah, much, yeah. but when you see the sex scene, you're like, oh, yeah, he really did pop your chair. Well, in, in the original <laughs> version of the movie, you are assuming and you're, uh, it leaves it up to your imagination where the story went. This actually fills it out and tells yes. you exactly what happened. I and love, it's actually really cool. I love a good movie at the end where it gives you a little <laughs> synopsis for each character, like what they went on to do. Oh, Animal House. Senator, Senator Animal House Blukowski. House. I love that yeah, feature. Yeah. Like, Past time style. Yeah, it just yeah. kind of wraps up things tidy. Like, oh, okay, they went on to have four kids and live in Bellingham, well, Washington. I mean, <laughs> in the original version, it does that a bit. But this, you know, because it does say, you know, they went on to uh, become teachers and they went on to, this guy went on to play. But that right, kind of in thing. the film. So they, the, what are the, the, the extended parts are, are the, the scenes with Steve and, and the Chantels. Yeah. But then you have more with, with the dentist right, and yes. the right. girlfriend. And then I was able to find a scene where Shades comes back to the ambassador hammered with yes. Rita Wilson. And that's where you get the inclination that... Um, Amos Mr. White. White is is gay. He right. is gay. That yeah. man is waiting for him. Howie yes. Long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is Howie Long. Raiders oh, linebacker oh, Howie Long is standing I, there waiting for him. Could, He's got the great line. You went from Mr. Pouty Face to this. Yeah. Because <laughs> he gets the, we should take him. Like, wh- all, where are they going, though, is what yeah, I, yeah. maybe I don't want to Well, know. <laughs> we know they're going to a club, and they're not going to bring uh, shades with them, you yeah. know. But um, he also, in the extended cut, there's a point where they're on the Hollywood show and he's Gus Grissom is there, played by Brian Cranston, Mr. Breaking yep. Bad. 
And there's a, in the in the extended scenes, there's Tom Hanks hands it the phone is like, "Could you say hi to my boyfriend Lloyd?" <laughs> and so there's another nod to Howie Long later on in the film. So, but and that Mr. never comes up in the regular cut no. that he's gay. That just doesn't no. come up. Yeah. But, in but this, you could, you know, Mr. White is Brian Epstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you can you can insinuate from this, all that stuff. You know, you you can kind of see where it was going. Yeah. But this actually tells, like, sure. bam, this sure. is what and happened. And props to Howie Long for not being so, you know, manly that he couldn't play that role. Because yeah. that was not long after he finished his football career. Yeah. You know, he still looks really young in that. No, yeah. he does. He does. I thought it was Tab Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> oh, um, there's also a really great pizza riot uh, at Villa Piano's or whatever. Yep. Uh, there's a second weekend book there for, okay. for I them. I think you can find that online. And yeah, the, watch it, there's but... a couple guys grab some fire extinguishers and start firing them off in the in the crowd. And that's one more of the things that uh, Charlize Theron ends up getting mad at Guy about because she gets sprayed with it. Sure. She's a little princess, so of course she gets all upset. Tina. Well, I also like the, the reality stuff of it, the, the, the nuts and bolts where they show how things were recorded and also how things got to distribution as well. So the man in the uh, camper shell, you know, yeah. cooking stuff on the open fire, you cooking know, some stew, a band is like a, a great stew. A band is like a great stew. Yes. All that kind of stuff, you know, just really, really showed how grassroots music was at the time and what it became. And then when you get to Chris Isaac recording them, in the church. In Uncle the church. Bob. Yeah. And that still happens. It still happens. But, you know, just how grassroots it was and how something that small could be taken to something that big. I love when uh, when him and Liv are you know, they're recording the song and they're doing the hands. She's on the single. Together, yeah. Well, I think in the regular version, they only show him cut that single. I think the scene plays out a little longer on the extended version. Yes. And you see Jimmy saying, hey, we need a B-side. Right. I'll do it in one cut. And he... You know, he's winding up his cables, and then he starts unwinding them and putting them back so he can do the, the, the B-side, because we were all wondering about that. Yeah, it gets like, mentioned a lot. Did he get two songs? Like, yeah. Come well, on, they had to. That's the Rosie and the Original story, remember? They yeah. went and they recorded Angel Baby, and they finished up and kind of went, the guy said, well, what's going to be on the other side? And they're like, we need another song? <laughs> so they they made up something on the spot. And it's supposed, it's one of the most atonal things that has ever been recorded. It's horrible, but it ended up being John Lennon's favorite song <laughs> yeah. because it's so weird. I have a, I have a, a press release where he's going, I'm telling Yoko, this is what it's all about. Rosie and the Originals have it. So I can, I could go San Diego. I can go on tangents on those guys. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is a great movie. I highly recommend it to everybody. It is fun. I mean, like you said, it's kind of one of those, it's a, it, it's a lesson in a way for a band. Like uh, bands need to watch. Okay, so let's 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 pick five movies. I I know two right there for a band to watch. Like epitome of a band. You got Spinal Taps in there, of course. This movie, but uh, are there a couple others that you recommend that that kind of? Well, I mean, it's it's fantasy, but I have to say, A Hard Day's Night. Sure. Um. Me personally, having seen A Hard Day's Night for the first time, I was ten years old. By the time I got to the end of that movie, that's all I wanted to do is be a musician, right? And that thing you do has that same kind of spirit. Yeah. You know, what I like about it is that it's not an R-rated movie. It's not crass. They're not uh -huh. making all kinds of poop jokes and all kinds of stuff. It's an actual, like, what people would really be like without yeah. extremes. Yeah. It's a very breezy movie. Uh, it's the kind of thing I can watch and time just passes by just instantly. And I, like I said, I've seen it over and over and over again. I can recite <laughs> lines from the movie. I know every song by heart. I, have and we it's, said, still, it's still fun. 
there's one line that gets repeated uh, several times through the film, and I love the the ed, unedited, the scene I saw today that was taken out. Probably the best time he says it in the film because he's drunk. Right. I am Spartacus. Anyway, it, it's a great line. <laughs> I mean, it's over the top. It's ridiculous, but it fits the mood. Yeah. Where he's going to take on the world and conquer yeah. everything. And for a moment, he does. Right. Well, yeah. you also see how Charlize Theron in the extended version, there's the apartment scene at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And he says that and she gets all frisky about it. But as time goes by, we see him keep saying this to her and she eventually just hangs up on him. Like, <laughs> yeah. But see, by the same token, she's getting tired of that being repeated. But the song getting repeated is, is actually yielding results. So yeah. you see it go both ways. It, like I said, Tom Hanks did a really, really good job of putting this together and capturing what it's like to be a young musician. Yeah, kids have no idea what it was like back then where you would press a record yourself, but you would take it to the radio station. Things were much more regional, so you would, and that's how it would start, you know, and then it would pop to another station or you would get bigger and bigger and bigger, but that... Thing. You know, there might be a hundred bucks lit in the record too. Well, they by, got rid of things like payola, but by the late sixties, it became corporate. You know, uh, don't let the man take our music and all that kind of yeah. stuff, right? So, um, yeah, once money came into it and realized that they could market things to a degree to teenagers, keeping yeah. in mind that ten years or so before that, teenagers didn't really exist. You went straight from being yeah. a kid to an adult, adult, right? So once they figured out that marketing was possible, we end up with where we are now, where it's kind of like. A, you know, music has become a commodity, you know, that, yeah. you know, it's like, well, we need you to write seven number one hits this month and you do five number sixes and we'll be good. Like, it doesn't work like that, you know. Yeah. You get what you get. Um, but um, again, anybody that is in a, uh, starting out with a band needs to see this movie. Anybody that was in a band in the 60s and 70s needs to see this movie. And anybody that likes Tom Hanks is going to love every second of this thing. There's, there's not a weak moment in the movie. The, the editing is so spot on. It gets you to where you need to be, gives you enough of the story. When you get to the scene where um, Faye is breaking up, the, the breakup with scene Jimmy. with Jimmy, yeah. um, all that drama is going on at the same time that their big break is about to happen. Right. And so it kind of shows you how, you know, the pluses and minuses of the whole thing. Yeah, you're on top of the world, the TV's seeing this, and wow, your parents are at home seriously impressed. Meanwhile, you're having a miserable time backstage arguing with everybody, and the band's about to break up. And you've already lost your bass player. And you've already lost your bass player, <laughs> He's right. He's win MIA. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it's when the, when the dynamic. Wolfman comes in, you know, I'll, you know. <laughs> the hired gun bass player. Yeah, yeah. Too scary. Yeah. <laughs> Bands, you know, we we've all been in that level where like a band, if somebody fills in, and you're just like, oh man, this is this is insane. What am I walking into? What am I walking into? <laughs> but that's just so so brilliant, you know. Yeah. Yep, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because he's like at in that moment, he's just like, I'm better than any of you. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he doesn't get, and, and he probably has five more sessions that day. He's got to get to anyway. Yeah. Right. You know, like Carol Kay used to do. You know, just over and over and but over. But ninety again. days, that band went from losing their drummer. To becoming one in of the Erie, Pennsylvania, fans. and if you've looked at that on a map, it's in the middle of nowhere. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> so, how often did the charts come out back then? Because they jumped up every those week. Chart. It was every, every week. week. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. it was all regional charts, right? So you could have a, a big hit in San Diego, yeah, and then not be completely unknown in Arizona. Sure. Yeah, so that was a very, very different thing. Um, yeah, just it, it, that movie just blows my mind sometimes. I love how it's it. you know one hit wonders. 
Well, that was they the, are the joke. wonders. The yeah. Oneaters. The Oneaters. Yeah. The Oneaters to you. Yeah, yeah that's the common uh, joke. But, you know, again, even though this movie takes place, what, I guess 60 years ago now, the, the basics of it are the same. You know, yeah. uh, every kid that goes to the pressing plant at this point is going to be thrilled to get the record. Uh, we all go through that. The song started as this became that. And then we all, in theory, in San Diego, get to play the Casbah at some point, And, it, you know, that, that's our Ed Sullivan show. And it's crazy how it's come full circle where records are as popular now again. And, and that's a big format for people to purchase music. Well, think of it this and bands way. to produce, you know, and put that, to give that out as quite think, a thing. Think of it this way. Over the last 100 years, us music collectors have gone through every format possible to see what the best one is. And it's vinyl. <laughs> Turns out it was vinyl all along. So there you go. I got to spin for a record store day Black Friday recently. That was a lot of fun. I actually spun Mrs. Magician's version of Angel Baby. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I actually feel like if these were actual singles from the 60s that you would probably own these. Like. I would. And as a matter of fact, even though they're singles from the 90s, I'm still looking for them. Did they, they release them? or yeah, No, promo? no. They did a, a promo run of that thing you do for the movie. Yeah. So they did. So those are out there. There wasn't that many of them, but a couple hundred copies, I'm sure. And then they did a uh, limited run at the same time that was for the public, but it was really limited. And they did a reissue just in the last year and a half or so. But they sell out instantly. Yeah. You, yeah. So, I mean, and they go for big bucks. But the beauty of that is, is that's the, well, it's a fake label at that moment, but right. Hanks makes it real. And the lasting legacy we have from this film is that the Playtone label is an actual label. Right. It releases mostly soundtracks. Yes. Sopranos. They do a lot of the Tom Hanks movie soundtracks. And like you said, the Sopranos and a lot of HBO stuff. Josie and the Pussycats. Yep. They do a lot of soundtracks yep. and, and they've won awards. They've gotten huh. Emmys or Grammys some for some of that stuff. And it's it's an actual label now. Yep. It's, a, it's the legacy left from this film. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's very, very cool. And of course, you know, the great songs. I mean, we would never have an in-sync version of that thing you do if this would be Did we really need that? No, 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 we, we didn't. We did not. We well, did here's not. the bummer, too, is that that song in November of 96 gets to number 41. It falls one slot shy of oh, the top 40. Yeah. It's held out by Jules, uh, Who Will Save Your Soul, or whatever oh. the hell that song is. But what's really disturbing is that the Macarena's in the top 10 at that moment. <laughs> and that's a pile of crap. And then you've oh. got that thing you do, just denied the top 40 that close. Uh. Just one slot away. Wow. Yeah. Fun movie, fun songs, fun characters. Let's really show enjoyed some it. Aside from Tina, let's show some love to the ladies for a minute. Okay. Because Liv uh, Faye. Yes. There's always that person that's right next to the band that's really important. And she actually is pretty important. Like, even though Jimmy treats... more like a Band-Aid than a groupie. But Jimmy treats her like crap, of course. But I think, you know... She's confused. They bill her as the wardrobe person, but I'm like... Wardrobe mistress. But a lot of times I've noticed, especially with touring bands coming through here, there usually is somebody with them that is kind of a glue person. Yeah, right there. There you go. (laughs) It's Donna. There you go. And Faye is that person. She's not just an accessory. She's not a groupie. Right. Like, she actually is important to them. She loved Jimmy. She really did. Yeah. She's invested in the band. Yes. So even when Jimmy, that, and that's why when Jimmy's being a dick, yeah. she can put up with it and she deals with it because she believes in the bigger picture yeah. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. Her losing her mind at the mailbox at the first time the song is played is, is my favorite five seconds of the film. Yeah. Because that's just wonderful. Her just losing her shit. With all those letters, and she starts to run off, and then she yeah. runs back, throws them in the box, and as she's running down the street, she runs into the bass player. He loses his shit. Like, 
There's, I love them turning all the stereos on and and Jimmy and Leo pull up and they leave the car right in the middle of the street yep. and come running inside. That's where the moment where, where I really love Guy's mom. Because, you know, we saw her earlier in the film playing the organ in, in there on a Saturday morning yeah. or whatever when it was kind of dead. So that's where he gets his music love from right. is his mom. And so when they all run up in the store playing the song really loud, she cranks it on in the back room and she's talking to somebody on the phone they're and like them on the radio. Yeah, and then later on when they're, when they're in Hollywood on the TV and the family's watching at home, she's the yeah. one that's like, "Shut up. I want to hear the song." Yep, like yep. as his, gruff as the father was, um I felt that maybe I expected him to be more not supportive, but I never felt that. He like bought they, in by then, but yeah. you could tell that the mom was the driving force yeah, behind yeah. Guy. Yeah, she's I the reason the he plays music. Got a promotion, and she still didn't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with the, with the dad, by the time, because you keep you know, ninety days, by yeah. the time he's playing the Hollywood Palace, the dad can no longer deny that this has been a decent movie. Yeah, you know, so. Right. Like that. 90 days, but that happened, right? It happened to a lot of bands. Well, keep in mind, though, and this is something that, you know, is mind-blowing to a lot of folks, but the average band's lifespan of hits is usually two years or less. Sure. So most of the bands from the 60s that we loved, the Love and Spoonful, the Turtles, the Mamas and Papas, they only existed for 18 months to two and a half years. That's it. Yeah. Um, and even the ones that lasted longer, their hit-making time frame, like the birds or stuff, was a year and a half. Right. So, I mean, things just moved really fast at the time. Uh, you couldn't have a band like the Beatles that put out two albums and two singles a year today. That just wouldn't work. The marketing would just they'd kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how do you feel about that new uh, Beatles song? Do they have a new record out? The new Beatles song. When? They just released it like. Of course, I like it. Yeah. Course, yeah. <laughs> half the Beatles. Yeah, half the Beatles. Um, yeah, you know what? I think it's great. I think it's um, uh, the the song was really well done. I liked it. I mean, it would have been nice to have like a uh, Sergeant Pepper rock and roll kind of thing, but it is kind of what you would expect from older musicians, etc. Um, I really think the video is what translated the song the, the yeah. best, though. The, I haven't the, seen the video yet. The video is amazing, just really, really good. And I'm hopeful for the future of the you know remaining Beatles stuff that will come out because there's still a lot of stuff in the can. So, you know, I mean, uh, just real quick sidebar here, but there's a website or, or a video site where somebody's gone through and, and picked out the pieces of fragments of Beatles songs unrelated, unreleased from the Get Back um, series. Okay. And then finished them. But using other Beatles scenes from, you know, taking the drums from this and whatever and finished them really good huh. some of these songs are amazing so there is still a lot coming up and of course with ai my big thing is are they going to get to the bbc sessions and do those in ai those early tapes that are really unlistenable right, right. And, and make them into something better which huh. i think they will be able to so lots of stuff to look forward to there but anyway back to this wonderful movie <laughs> this is, it's all it's all related are we done we're no, no, still, no, 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 no. We're still no. going um <laughs> i wanted to talk about their fates at the end when we see like you referred to earlier yes, the yeah. scroll at the end yes so we get Guy and Faye end up together. Now, in the regular version, you don't see the thing where he's getting a job at that radio studio that Clint Howard works at. He wow. offers him a job there huh. if he stays in L.A. And, and so he, he records these interviews with L. Paxton and some of these guys. And he ends up taking a five-night-a-week or whatever job at that radio station. And then you get the scene with him and Faye at the end where they get together oh. so in oh. the in the extended version you realize that he's going to be a dj for a little while but in the crawl words there you see that they moved to seattle i yeah. think it was yeah. and they yeah. opened a music place and 
guy teaches, and that's pretty cool. Um, the most interesting one to me is Jimmy because I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy's a total prick. He quits on Tom Hanks and walks out on his contract with Playtone. But Playtone has no problem calling him back for his new band, The Herdsman. Yeah. Who he records three gold singles for, for Playtone. Yep. yep. And then he becomes a producer for Playtone. That, all, that was kind of crazy to me that he like burned him with the wonders. Then for some reason, these other guys I got with, well, I'll come back and do some more singles for you. Okay, so in the label world, he's still under contract yeah. with them, even okay. though he, he since he's the main songwriter, yeah. they're going to hang on to him and let everybody else slide. So the herdsman is his fulfilling his contract yes. for screwing up with the wonders. Yes. Pretty much. So okay. basically he got what he wanted yeah. in the long run, but he had to get rid of the other guys. In the meantime, he got the three gold records and now has a career. Yeah, and we hear two of them. The one that's playing right then during the, the those credits, yeah. and then at further on along in the credits, you get the, the other one that's the herdsman. Yes, yeah. so it's H E A R D, right? Exactly. Yeah, not Funny enough, uh, he would be at, at this point in time, he would be playing solo on the Hippie Fest show, <laughs> tour at Humphreys by the Bay every summer, right, with the turtles and the and the cowsills. Uh, the cowsills. <laughs> so we get the bass player goes to Vietnam. Yes, there's two tours. Gets wounded. Purple, Purple heart. heart. Yeah. And then he comes home to be a construction worker in Orlando, I think is what yeah. it said. Okay. That sounds about right. No, it sounds about right. I mean, this is one of the disillusioning things is that it wasn't until really the early 80s where you started to realize, because the rock and roll dream survived for about 25 years, but by the 80s, you were starting to go, well, wait a minute. That guy was on Ed Sullivan. He had three number one records, and he's pumping gas at his dad's gas station in Tulsa now. Like, you were able to see that, you know, it didn't always work out and actually usually didn't work out uh, beyond a certain level. Right. So I think there, there was a reality check in it. But during the time frame when that thing you do takes place, it was all wide open, and everybody was going to be a superstar, and everybody was going to make a million dollars. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, and Guy was supposed to take over running the appliance shop from his dad. Right. That was always, you know, that was known. That was And so good for his sister, who was looked over all the time, because... We know Guy didn't move back. He stayed in L.A. and then right. he went to Seattle. So we could assume his sister probably got the shop. <laughs> Maybe she finally got paid. Yeah. You know, I mean, Guy couldn't shut off the lights anyway. He kept leaving them on. I, I, mean. I got to <laughs> say uh, that in a lot of ways, I couldn't see a sequel to this because the, to that thing you do because it's so compact and everything happened like that. But maybe a film of the following 90 days would have also been kind of cool <laughs> to see what happened after that. Right. Because in that next 90 days, the herdsman came out, the DJ show started, he was in Vietnam. So all of that stuff would have been, because you could have done like an American graffiti cut movie where yeah. like you go. The contrast with Vietnam would yeah. have been amazing. Yeah. Uh... Well, no, because you could see he'd be in the jungle somewhere and he's just about to go into battle. He's cocking his gun. And then on Air Force's radio, that thing you do comes on. Or the Chantrelees. The Chantrelees come on. And he oh, gets a boner as he's getting ready to go into no, no, war. Better yet, the Chantrelees show up for a USO show. There you there go. You go. go. Hey, we're, we're writing the sequel right now. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's Fan it. fiction. Yes. <laughs> Too cool. Yeah, no, this is this is just a great, great movie. Um, and it, you can tell as well by how many, just go on YouTube and just punch in that thing you do cover. Yeah. And just everything from high school kids to you know bad uh, garage bands doing the song. And sure. it, it really means it's a, a lot. Catchy song. It's, it's a also, great song. I guess in the liner notes on the soundtrack, there's a little bit of an elaboration on what happened to these people at the end. I mean, uh, I guess they talk about Amos, uh, Mr. White, Tom Hanks's character, 
becomes the uh, president of Playtone after the fact. And in the movie, we only see the song get to number seven, I think it is. Yeah. But in the liner notes of the soundtrack, it says that eventually the next week after that Hollywood appearance, it got to number two. Yeah. Well, so. you know, the other uh, amazing scene, and there's so many of them, is the uh, the thing where they meet the head of the label, Solly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, these guys that don't care about the music, they just want to make a quick buck and whatever. Yeah. You know, they'd be selling widgets if that was what was making money that week. And so the smarminess, the, you know, the gladhanderness, the the fact that he doesn't care, all that, get this kid away from me, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, having been in the, the record business for a long time, I've seen that over the years. Yeah. And it's just it's so spot on how the, some of these people really, really are. They don't give a rat's ass about you. Can you, you. get Fabian out of here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the uh, regular version, he comes down the stairs and, and it's just kind of a, it's a much quicker scene. Right. But in the extended version, you see him shine them up to the press and he's putting his arms around him and he's making them look like they're his best buddies. Yep. And then that's what makes it more weird when Jimmy comes up to him later five minutes later and tries to introduce himself. I saw himself. that in the film. That, the, that was in the, the whole yeah, thing? Yeah. yeah. It's the two-facedness of the whole thing. He just scene, couldn't give a shit about them. Like, if they didn't have a number two song, he wouldn't stop his car well, if they were in the street. It's like, literally the moment the cameras go off and the reporters turn the yep. other way, it goes the other way. Yeah. Yep. And, like, yeah, that's one of the pieces of advice I give people. I teach a class on music, uh, you know, dealing with labels and stuff, and I, music industry people are not your friends. You know, the moment you can't do something, they're not picking up the phone again. Nope. So, you know, I mean, not you guys, obviously, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are great, but the other people, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's a whole different game now. Bands uh, have to get out on the road. They have to create their own following and but fan base before they even get recognized by we're in a, a label. Uh, we're in a music situation now where uh, bands often have to pay to open for other bands now. Sure, sure. And it's just like, it, it's become a, a business where a lot of the people that control everything don't really like music. They just like money. Yeah. And so I'm hopeful that as things quiet down, it'll go back to being, and it's starting to a little bit, you know, I mean, places like the Casbah are godsends to musicians and music fans across the board because we need these kinds of grassroots things, people that believe in what, what this is, you know? Yeah. So music is a religion. You know, speaking of the Casbah, there's some great shows coming up, not to mention the 35th anniversary. Uh, Ziggy Shuffled Us, uh, December 16th. Oh, I got a couple shows here. Jesse Ray Smith, Jeff Berkeley, and Kalen Lucas, Sunday, December 17th. Oh, Bart, you'll be at this one. More Fatter and Daddy. That's on uh, Tuesday, December 19th. Uh, the Cure Christmas Dance Party, Friday, December 22nd. Of course, Exile on Kettner Boulevard, always. Don't miss uh, that December. one. Uh, well, Christmas Eve. Um, the Elvez Christmas Show. Elvez Maximus Show. That's happening on Saturday, December 23rd. Backed by the Schizophonics. Yeah. Creepy Creeps got a show here on the 30th. Uh, New Year's Eve Gothic Ball on the 31st. And then, man, we're getting into the 35th anniversary. Well, I'm of those really, shows selling out already. I'm really happy that you guys are adding cots in the back for us to come here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I still wish Tim, uh, like, that was a mini hotel or something up above here, actually, that does, you know, or like a green room for us. Now being, um, yeah, we whatever. had so many adventures here over the decades. And uh, man, most of which I cannot say on camera. But Well, okay, so it's, we got the 35th anniversary. We're, we're, we're right on the eve of it. Okay. If, if, you, if somebody hits you, because Tim gets hit with this question too, because we're associated with this place. 
do you have a maybe one or two or three even favorite shows that you've ever been to here? Because we get hit with that all the time. Oh, wow. And my answer changes all the time. Yeah, I mean, it would I have mean, to change for me a lot, too. But there are things here that mean a lot to me. And, um, for example, um, during the 90s, a lot of the 60s garage rockers made a, uh, a last trip around the sun, so to speak. And so a lot of them played here. So we got to play with Question Mark and the Mysterians. We got to play with the Seeds you know, things like that. So that means a heck of a lot to me. Um, we were talking earlier, I saw a Susanna Hoff show here with like a couple dozen people. That was just amazing. Um, but before she was in the Bengals? No, no, no. Oh, after, after, after oh, she okay. was in the Bengals. Um, so yeah, there's been, uh, you know, uh, a great one here that was, okay, this would probably be my top show. And there wasn't a lot of people here because I remember um, I was asked to make a bunch of phone calls to get people down here but it was the Plimsolls and Imperial Drag. Okay. Okay, that was an amazing show. Um, Imperial Drag being ex-Jellyfish. Okay. And they were on fire. It was like just when the album came out. So that would probably be my favorite show. But again, there's just been so many uh, events here that just- Where does the banana seeds fall in that list? <laughs> oh, wow, wow. It's... Don't answer that. <laughs> That's it, all right. It's, it's near the bottom. Yeah, yeah okay. of course. That's <laughs> um, fine. That's fine. But um, yeah, no, no, there's just been so much here. And I'm looking over, you know, I, Tim Mays has been so kind to me over the years. I'm like, I can see right here a Plimsoll show that we did for him at the headquarters back in like 83. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the connection goes way back and it's deep. I love this place. Um, God, what was the last show I was here for? It's here so often it kind of lose track anymore, you know. But that's also the other thing, too, is that you can pop here and catch all kinds of new things that... You know, I like um, I didn't get to see the show particularly, but like Pleasure Pill the other day. There's just so much good new music coming through here. And the fact that you guys take a chance on new bands, uh, local and national and international and bring in the big guns as well. You know, I mean, saw Missing Persons here not too long ago, but heck, an another favorite of mine this year, XTC. That was great. I was that, here. That wasn't that was just fun. great. That was uh, that was revelatory. I mean, that was amazing. Gang of Four. Yeah. You know, I mean, stuff like that. You, you just can't beat it. You're like. There are moments I've been here where I'm thinking, like, I'm standing this close to what, what you know, I read about this person in these magazines and how I'm talking to so-and-so. Yeah. And it's, it's that kind of place. Or uh, hanging out with uh, Danny Harrison in the, in the, just. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Where, where does that happen? Yeah. You know, I mean, but at the Casbah, it does. Yeah. You know? So anyway, yeah, there's, there's endless amounts of favorites. And like you said, it would change constantly, but definitely that one. Oh, another great one was uh, <laughs> Sugar Plastic. I love that band, Sugar Plastic. And they played here, you know, it's great. Actually, during that road uh, road trip, I was following them around. So I think I saw them in Seattle, Chicago, um, L.A., San Francisco, whatever. And when they walked in here, they just went, what are you doing here? <laughs> when I like a band, I will follow them wherever I can go. So you, you've been like that. Of course. Because you've been we've been in the car together driving yes. to some godforsaken place to see some band. Um, yeah, so anyway, getting back to the movie, um, it's... It's a must for anybody that, that appreciates being in a band. Yeah. And um, I also highly recommend it for uh, girlfriends and parents and siblings who don't get it. Like, why do you, why are you in this band? Why are you doing this? It's so much work. It's so much this, so much whatever. Watch this movie and you'll find all the joy in it right there. You'll see what it's about. And you'll see some of the bad stuff too, you know, getting pushed around, the breakup of the, the, the relationship. The bad show in Pittsburgh. The bad show in Pittsburgh. These things happen. Yeah. You know, and so this, it's all part of the growing process. But anybody that sees this movie will absolutely find the joy and love of being a musician right from the first moment. I agree. 
I think it's very underrated. I think it's extremely underrated, but I also think it, you know it's become a cult for a reason. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of people that like I, like I said, we can recite every line in that movie. It's just hilarious, and you know, it's, it's a rite of passage for a, a band. You yes, know? it is. You got and, Spinal Tap, <coughs> Hard Day's Night, any of those band, great band movies. Well, a lot of these music movies get that way. I mean, I'm a nerd. I I know it's not everybody's favorite film, but there's a Netflix movie called Eurovision. With, uh-huh. Will, with Will yeah. Ferrell yes, and Rachel that's McAdams. Really, that's really, really good. <laughs> if you've ever watched Eurovision, they send it up perfectly. Well, have you seen uh, uh, Words and Music with Hugh Grant? No, okay. I have not. Also very, very good. It's yeah. about, um, and I only watched it because there was literally nothing else on. I, this a, a movie about 80s music with Hugh Grant. This is going to be horrible. But basically, it's an 80s star that was washed up and now he's coming back and doing the reunion the like we said the Humphrey stores okay those uh you he's know it's like Rick Astley so, yeah, well yeah <laughs> so, something like that but it's really well played out and well done and you see yeah. the the pluses and minuses and it's funny I find a lot of these rock and roll films have cult followings these yes. these music yeah, of course. films yeah school of rock there you go you know that Hugh Grant is an Oompa Loompa <laughs> In the new Wonka, In the yeah. new Wonka movie, he is the only Oompa Loompa. He's uh, going to be great. Yeah. yeah. But I, Deep Roy was the only Oompa Loompa in the Johnny Depp one from like 18 years ago. So yeah, we're trying not to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you get... There's we, one Wonka and his name's Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it just great. doesn't, you know, it's Good like... Lord. It's, don't remake what is great. It's kind of like there's one Batman and it was Adam West, okay? Because <laughs> they're making, they make all these other ones and they do all this other stuff, but you go to Comic-Con, whatever, and everybody's looking at the Adam West stuff. You know, I mean, I like the new Batmans, but it's still not Adam West. Thank you, Bart Mendoza. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's your favorite Superman? Oh, it's Who's, Christopher Reeve. Christopher Come Reeve. on. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, who it was. Yeah. You know, and his grandpa, George Reeves. The bar, the bar has been set. Yeah, the bar. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you don't need to go any further with it, but they will. They Although, will. <clears throat> now with AI. Oh, my God. You'll be able to make another Christopher Reeve. Now movie. we'll have Marlon Brando oh. as fucking Spider-Man or well, something. And, and you saw that as well in one of the last MC, uh, DC movies where they... Go into the, the the metaverse or whatever it's the called. Flash. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you see, not yeah, it was in the Flash. You actually see George Reeves in the movie, and you actually see Adam West, and you see it, Nicolas Cage as Superman. Yeah, yeah, Superman, right? So yeah. you actually see that. So that kind of thing is going to be very, very interesting. So we could have you know Tim Piles for the rest of history. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Did you hear the Hives are franchising? I did see <laughs> I did see that for development for for high yeah, cover no. but they can't sustain but, the But uh, look the... how look how well franchising worked out for Devo. Remember they had those groups that were Devo 2.0 right, and 3.0. Right. Banner Asterman did some some of that too. Yeah, well yeah, I, I, But we... now Gene Simmons has just come out and said that he doesn't uh he doesn't uh you know well, say I, that we he can wouldn't an, consider that of having can, Kiss continue with a We can announce it here now. We're going to be having substitute manual scan members pretty soon. So it'll be a... Yeah, we're it's have, always a pleasure to perform on stage with Manual Scan well, with my, my Scooter Club brothers. We're Thank gonna you. have younger people play Manual Scan, so yeah. it'll, be, it'll be people in their fifties. Didn't the Alarm was the the Alarm that did that? They created yes, the, they did the, the band, and then they shot videos with young people, and it was this totally yeah. They couldn't it was get them. They couldn't was, get signed, but they they got a bunch of kids great to, songs too to uh, recreate the videos, and they got they had a top twenty hit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like right away. So I love how the in the UK. That that happens on a different level that we don't really get here in the states. But like when I listen to BBC Six, they they are putting new bands on the radio for the first time and interviewing them. And I know how music is, it's just they handle it differently. There, the appreciation of it 
And uh, it's fun. To, you hear that excitement and these kids getting to be well, on with these legendary DJs. It's because access to all of it isn't as prevalent as here. And one of the things to remember, one of the reasons that um, rock in England was so big was because you couldn't actually get it. You know, they only played uh, pop music from, I don't know, five to seven on Fridays. And right. so the kids would all listen to it and you'd have that concentrated blast of new music. Now everything is everywhere. Nobody cares. Right, right. You know, so what do they say? When, there's, when it's too, uh, too available, it has no value. Yeah. And that's basically what's happened. Yeah. So it's music fanatics like us that are keeping things alive. Sure. And hopefully there'll be new generations coming in. And I believe there will be. I don't think it's ever going to go back to... Uh, the stadium rock years, excess of the late 90s, for example. Because if you think about it, we were talking about this before, you would have, uh, in the old days, you'd have uh, the banana seeds coming through and they're selling out the stadium. That's enough, right? Then 10 years go by and it's the banana seeds and introducing the pretenders, right? And so you got, now you got two good bands. Then it became, you got the pretenders, the banana seeds, ZZ Top and Aerosmith opening. Right. And now it's like we got all those and we got 10 bands in the parking lot and it's still not sold out. <laughs> no. You know, so, yeah, I don't think we're going to get back to those days, but we will get back to the days of the package tours in the 60s because it'll go back to people that really care about music being in charge. Thank you, Bart Mendoza. Thank you, Tim. Learned a lot. Always uh, enjoy you. your Thank time. You. Uh, the Shambles, Manual Scan. Currently, uh, we have... Uh, True stories, True but stories. really we're concentrating on a manual scan right now. So uh, you've yeah. had some big shows here over the years. I've booked you for a bunch of free events. I think uh, it's kind of cool. Tim has given you some bigger uh, headlining shows that I have had nothing to do with. Well, thank you. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. So we we uh, just did a missing person show. Yeah, Belly exciting. Up How was that, that? That was really good. Nice. I mean, I was a little incredulous that because we're you know we don't not Cynthia new wave or whatever but the crowd was definitely on our side nice. they were cool and uh seeing Prescott Niles from the Knack playing bass with missing persons that guy is a monster on the bass um but uh, manual scan January 7th at the music box we're doing part of the 20th uh, anniversary of Pacific Records yeah. show that's going to be a big one a lot of bands uh it's only 12 bucks to get in it's an all-day festival it's gonna be a lot of fun um Finishing up a new True, True Stories album right now. Um, Dave Flemmer's just doing his overdubs. Hint, Dave. Um, and um, another manual scan record after the new year. So, yeah, we're going to keep it rolling and kind of figuring this is the depressing part is that, you know, I'm in the last third of my life, so to speak. And so I want to finish up a lot of projects and get things done before it's too late. Sure. You know, I hope to have a very long run, at least another 30 to 40 years. But in case I'm wrong, I got a lot of stuff to take care of. And, you know, there's another Staring at the Sun that we're working on right now. Yep. So any bands that are interested in that, Tim will be heavily involved in that as we come up. Um, and I'm trying to think what else is going on. Music Awards. Music You're Awards. With that. We're going to be doing that. Uh, we're starting to work on Beatles Fair for 2024 right now. Um, ah, yeah, yeah. What else you got going? Uh, Queen Beast. Uh, You're always looking for stories. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Local I, bands. How do they find you? You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can Instagram me through Pacific Records. You can uh, contact Donna Daily. Um, you can, all this kind of stuff. Just reach out to me. I live to cover local music. So limited on the resources for bands to get promotion and, and things written about them. This is probably the main catalyst for any of that here in San Diego. I hate to say it, probably, although, um, you know, George Varga and J. Allen Sanford and Andrew Hamlin at The Reader now, too, are doing a really good job of keeping things rolling. But, you know, it's a, 
I like to think of the support for local music as being a concerted effort where everybody comes in, you know? Yeah. So it's not just one person, it's you guys, it's everybody doing things like that. And, you know, dovetailing it back to the movie, this is a good way to find out how it all started, you know? And uh, for any bands that wonder what the next step is as well, watch the movie. It'll show you a lot of how things can go and also uh, keep you aware of some of the pitfalls as well, whether it's the fake gladhanders, whether it's the, the guy that's uh, putting too much time into his relationship and not enough time into the band, or whether it's just, uh, you know, pure luck of what ends up on the charts. It's all there in the movie and it's really well played out in a humorous way. It's just light and breezy and just a fun watch. Graham, table, anything? Yeah, Table 19, your pizza is ready. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Zahn says that in the pizza scene. I, I just lose my mind. It is He's so, so good. Ah, oh, it's so fun. Well, thank you so much for supporting Soundcheck Flicks. Please follow us. Tell your friends about it. And we're me, on most streaming platforms uh, except for Apple Plus. Get on that. Okay, I'm going to throw is that? one more thing that's actually movie related. So, oh. so we talked about Rick Elias from San Diego uh, writing songs for the movie, but he's also in the movie. So if you're watching the uh, the grandstand scenes, he's the guitar player on the left hand side of the stage, and that that was his little thank you. He got to be in the those scenes for the movie. So that's really cool. Rick Elias fans, there he is. And that's Soundcheck Flicks. Thank you so much. On the next edition of Soundcheck Flicks, we cover the 1985 film Brazil. Are you ready for that trip? 